Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. Last week we uh, got through the whole chapter, chapter 10, and we've been going through this uh, little by little, a little bit slower than when we first went through it. And I've been really enjoying it. I've been getting into a little deeper myself personally, and, and there's some things that I've been discovering and finding out, even today in our message today. But I'm excited to get into our passage in Revelation 11 as we're making our way through this book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse in our study. Well, let's begin with the word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you so much for this morning. What a beautiful morning it is, God. Lord, I think about on Sunday, Lord, and I was waking up this morning, how quiet it was, how still it was, Lord, how people are relaxing, sleeping in, that it's, it's the Sabbath day, it's the Lord's day, God. And we have taken the effort, Lord, we made the effort, taken the time, God, to come and seek you on your day, the Lord's day, on this Sabbath day. And God, as we come to worship you, and as we have, Lord, we continue to come and worship you in your word, Lord. We want to study, we want to learn, we want to grow. And God, we want your word to change and transform us, Lord, to stir us up, God, put a fire in our hearts for you, Jesus, and, and nothing else, Lord. God, we want to cast aside the idols, we want to cast aside those things that are have been keeping us from you or distracting us from you, God. And this morning we come and put our full attention upon your word. So I ask, God, that you would bless this time. I pray for your anointing by your Holy Spirit, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There is a massive structure standing today, and it's called the Temple of Solomon. You can see it on your screen, I think. Yeah, Shaila? <laughs> it's coming. There it is. Oh, no, that's not the one. No, it's not the one? That's the one. There you go. That's the one. It's called the Temple of Solomon. Now, this is not the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. This temple here is actually located in San Paulo, Brazil. It belongs to the Pentecostal Universal Church of the Kingdom of God. That's a long title, I know. They built this full-size replica of Solomon's temple, and it cost them $300 million. A lot of money there. It's actually four times bigger than the original dimensions found in the Old Testament of the Jewish temple. It houses a 10,000-seat sanctuary. The floors and walls of this 18-story high church are covered with $8 million dollars worth of Jerusalem stone that they shipped in from Israel. The entrance to the sanctuary stand in the entrance stands a large menorah. The pews are imported from Spain. The main altar of the stage is covered in gold leaf where sits a replica of the Ark of the Covenant covered in gold leaf as well. I thought this was interesting. Uh, there's a conveyor belt system they worked onto the stage at the altar to carry tithes and offerings directly into this safe room. I thought that was crazy. What? Maybe everyone watches the goals as they pray over. I don't know. Kind of, kind of crazy there. They say more than 20,000 people flock to the Temple of Solomon every day in their daily services. Now, this is in Brazil, Sao Paulo. But let me tell you, 
Not everyone is happy about it. One rabbi, uh, Chaim Richman, and he's the international director of the Temple Institute in Jerusalem, he made this comment. This planned church is a mockery which stands in diametric opposition to everything that the Holy Temple of Jerusalem represents. He doesn't like it. And, and why is that? Why would this Jewish rabbi not be pleased? Because you know what? For the Jews, there's only one place to rebuild the temple. And where's that? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. We know that. We understand it. And I don't think that was their intent to replace the temple when they built that. It was just something they say they want to make aware of the temple, the Jewish temple and everything. But, you know, the Orthodox rabbis, they're they're pretty, you know, kind of... keen on what they really would want. Well, as we come into our study this morning, Revelation chapter 11, we find that in the end times, in the tribulation years, the Jewish temple will be rebuilt and standing in Jerusalem. And that's what we're going to see this morning. So I titled our message, The Upcoming Third Temple. The Upcoming Third Temple. And you know, I carefully use that word upcoming because it's coming you guys and that's what we're going to see it's not just whilst in the future hey i was thinking it's coming it's upcoming and it's going to be here soon so revelation chapter 11 is where we're going to find this and we're going to take only two verses this morning verse one and two verse one and two and with those two verses we have two headings and basically with this upcoming third temple we're going to see number one what to measure And number two, what not to measure. So we have those uh, uh, two headings there. And the spirit is blowing really hard, so the screen fell out the window. But oh well, we'll we'll catch it next time. Anyway, so the upcoming third temple. Let's look at number one in our outline. What to measure. What to measure. Take a look with me here now, verse 1 of Revelation chapter 11. It reads here, Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. Now we'll stop here for our first section, our first heading here. We begin with the word then in verse 1. And so what we're seeing is John is writing what happened next now, okay? Last week we saw in chapter 10, if you were here, if not, you can grab our YouTube uh, channel, go to YouTube channel, you can grab the message there um, or our podcast. But chapter 10 brought in, brought in this pause, right? There, a pause happened between the sixth trumpet and the blowing of the seventh Trumpet, And this is where we stay right now. And with this pause, it marked the beginning of the end was about to come, if you remember our study. Because the seventh trumpet, right, when it blows, seven bowls of judgment will come out of that. And after the seven bowls, Jesus will return to rule and reign and establish himself on this earth. And that was what? A bittersweet reality. That was the title of our message last week. Uh, it was sweet that Jesus is finally returning to earth, ending all evil. But the bitterness was many will die in the judgment that will fall, if you remember. And so John experienced that bittersweet reality, right? 
By eating that scroll, that message of the angel, he ate it, and it was sweet to his mouth, but bitter to his stomach. It made his stomach so sore. So we saw that, right? Well, now we go on. John then is given, now we see in verse 11, a measuring rod like a staff. Now, probably the mighty angel we saw in chapter 10 who gave him the scroll is the same one giving this John this measuring rod. Now, this measuring rod is like this long stick. Think about like a yardstick that we, well, I don't know, we, I hardly use one anymore, right? I have tape measures. Now, isn't this amazing with your iPhone? You can actually measure things, you know? I think that's so crazy technology. But the measuring rod is, is, is this long stick. It's usually about 10 feet long, and they use it in construction. They use it to measure out things and to build things. And so John says, here's this measuring rod. The angel, mighty angel gives him this measuring rod, and it's, it, it's like a staff. And that meant the rod was like similar to like a walking staff. And that's like a, this reed-like plant that grew in the Jordan Valley, and they would make pens and, and measuring rods and staffs out of this reed. So basically he's like, oh, God gave me his measuring rod. But it was like, it was like the staff. It was like, like one of those reed-like things that we use here on earth. And so with this uh, uh, measuring rod, it says, I was told, John was told to rise up, to get up, and measure now three areas. And we see here listed in verse 1, measure the temple of God, measure the altar, and those who worship there. So three things John is to measure, we find in verse 1. Now, first of all, the temple. The word temple is a Greek word here, nahos, and it really refers, it really speaks to the inner temple area. We can put up another picture uh, of the inner temple area. And uh, you see, this, this, this is a, a depiction of this inner temple area. And you can see it's not the whole temple complex. It's just the main area. Uh, to the left, you can see the, the holy place, the the most holy place or the holiest of holies. And then outside of that is the altar. And then the court of Israel and court of women where the people come and worship in those areas. And the altars where the priests would offer, make their sacrifices. And then only the priests could enter the, the temple itself, the holy place, and the most holy place or the holiest of holies where the ark was. So when this uh, instruction is given John, and it says measure the temple. It's really looking at this area. It speaks of that inner temple area, uh, uh, most likely just a temple where the holy place and the most holy place is. And then the second area is the area of the altar, right? Right outside the door of the temple. It, the altar really speaks of the bronze altar. That's where the sacrifices were made. It sits right in front of the temple doors. And that's that main place where they brought the sacrifices and all. And then thirdly, John is to measure those who worship there. Now, it could be that outside area where, say, the court of Israel, the court of women, where the people, the Jewish people come and worship God in that area. It could be that. Some commentators talk about, well, maybe, maybe uh, uh, the, the instruction is to measure the, the area, or is it measuring the people? It could be. It could be maybe God's measuring perhaps their heart. And, and I kind of tend to lean into that 
direction too. And, and I'll bring it together in a moment. But I, I think as God wants John to measure the people, he wants to measure their heart. And that is to see how they are seeking and God at this time. So John is given what to measure right there. The main temple area, which to me is this. It reveals that there will be Jews seeking God as a nation again. See, the temple, the altar, and the people in worship shows what's going on in the nation at this time. What's what's happening during the tribulation years. The temple is the place, think about this, where the Jews will go to seek God again. The altar reveals the offering the Jews will give to to get right with God again. And the people, to measure the people, shows the heart of the Jews to know their God again. So God sends John to measure, or let's say to assess, take assessment, on what is going on spiritually with the nation of Israel at this time during the tribulation years. And, And what we see is, they're back. As John is measuring, look, they're back. They're, they're at that place. They're offering that sacrifices. They're back trying to get right with God. They're seeking and worshiping God. So here's the first thing I want you to see. The measuring of the main temple area shows Israel is seriously seeking God again. That's what I want you to see in verse 1, the first thing. The measuring of the main temple area shows Israel is seriously seeking God again. I don't have this to put on the screen, but MacArthur wrote, the reinstitution of the temple worship will reawaken interest on the part of many Jews uh, in the Messiah. And I like that thought. I I, I like that, that we see the nation worshiping God again, trying to get right, being right with God, doing what they think needs to be done, giving the sacrifices, that they're there measuring the people. They're there at the place showing their heart that they want to worship God. And so there's reawakening of their desire to see God again as a nation. And that's why I like this thought that MacArthur said. With the, and, and get this now. With this reawakening, God will meet them and you know what? He will lead them to Jesus Christ. That's actually what we're going to see. I think they're going to start to realize that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That's Hebrews 10.4. And I think there's going to be a reawakening to seek the Lord. And, and they're going to find out, wow, we know, right? Well, we know only the blood of the Lamb, Jesus, can make us right with God. And that's why, as they're seeking God, God's going to lead them to Jesus Christ. And that's why in the next section, next week, we're going to see in this next part of the chapter 11, we're going to see the two witnesses that God sends to share Jesus Christ. But that's next week. But I want to connect that thought with you because the next thing we see is the two witnesses God sees. You know why? Because the people here are seriously seeking God again. And that's why God has John measure that temple area. You know, you may be here. You may be here sincerely, genuinely seeking God, trying to get right with God. Maybe things have happened in your life. Maybe you've sinned. Maybe, maybe there's consequences that you're living through. And you, you know you've you got to get right with God. You've got to fix things. I mean, you've sinned before God. And maybe you think, well, if I could come to church... 
God will forgive me. If I could just make it there and, and he sees I'm there, he, 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 he can bring me back. He'll have mercy on me. Maybe you're connected online and you're thinking, well, if I could just, just connect, watch this church service and God will see and then maybe, maybe that would make me right. But it's not anything you do. It's not any work. It's not any offering, right, that you can make to God. There's no work. There's no good deed that will atone for any of our sins. But it only comes to the work of the cross. It only comes in believing in Christ and how he died on a cross for our sins and he rose again. That's the atonement that was made for our sins. And, and, and it's perfect today that we have communion because that's what we're coming and remembering and when we're honoring God that he came to this earth, died on the cross. He came from heaven. God came down, became flesh, died on the cross. And he was the offering. He was the lamb that died for us so that we, he could atone for our sins. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we go to Jesus. That's why we go to the cross. And that's the only way we can be forgiven and made right with God. Only the blood of Jesus. So if you're here today, if you're connected online, you know what? Receive Jesus today. Go to him. Believe in him. Receive the gift. Receive what he's done in faith. And you will be saved and you will be made right with God. So understand that today. So John here is tasked with the measuring of the main temple area because it shows Israel is seriously seeking God again. And we see that, right? Now, before we go on to verse 2, there's a problem. There's a problem with this. Right now, there's no Jewish temple in Jerusalem on the temple mount there on that plateau there I mean how can now what we're reading here in, in in Revelation 11 and we're right in the middle of the tribulation years how can John in the future measure something that is no longer here today it's it's not here right we don't see it you know what the answer is there's going to be another temple that's the answer there will be a temple rebuilt. So here's the second thing I want you to see in verse 1. Number 2 is the measuring means there will be a future third temple. That's what it's called. There will be a future third temple. Now, in Jewish history, in the Old Testament, we have seen in, in their history, there's been two temples now. The first temple... Or it is called Solomon's Temple. Not the Temple of Solomon in San Paulo, but Solomon's Temple. And that, there you go. That's it. There, there's an illustration of it. Uh, it was built in 966 B.C. by King Solomon. Remember, David couldn't build it because his hands were bloody by war. But he got all the material. And when his son, King Solomon, became in rule, he had this built. It was, it, it was incredible. Well, that was destroyed, though, in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians when King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar came, right, took over Israel, burned Jerusalem, burned out, took down the temple, and it was destroyed, no, no temple. So that was the first temple. But there is a second temple that we see also in the Bible, and the second temple is otherwise known as Zerubbabel's temple, and you can see that. There's Zerubbabel's temple. 
The temple was rebuilt basically in 516 BC. It was when the Jews returned to the homeland, when the Persian king allowed the Jews to return and then allowed them to build their temple. And Zerubbabel led that building. And after the captivity, they were able to rebuild the temple and begin the sacrifices and, and all the, the laws and things that Moses that was given Moses for Israel to do. Well, this, this second temple actually was refurbished. So some call it the third, but it's actually the second temple refurbished, and that is called Herod's Temple. And you can do the, see the next picture on it. That's Herod's Temple. Work started in 20 B.C., and then he, he kind of refurbished it all. He, he wanted to please the Jews, so he took that second temple of Zerubbabel and just oh, expanded it and made it more grand and put money into it. And kind of like you guys remodeling your houses now, right, you know, during this pandemic. There, there's a big, you know, push for that, right, going on. Well, well, this is Herod, and Herod did this. It's called Herod's Temple, and this was the temple that was standing during Jesus' day. That was where he would go to. This is Herod's temple. Well, this temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. when there was a Jewish rebellion, this uprising, and they were defeated by the Roman army, and they came in, and they, they, they burned inside the temple, and the, the gold in the temple melted, they say, between the cracks of the stones. So they pushed down the stones to get all the gold. And that destroyed and demolished the whole temple. And, and uh, that's what actually Jesus had predicted, told him like 40 years before that, that not one stone will be left upon another. And the Jews back then, Jesus' day, Jesus' day saying, no way, that'll never happen. But it happened in 70 A.D. Now today, there's some of the stones you can see that are left. But a retaining wall is still standing, and that is what is called the Wailing Wall. Uh, I have a picture of that too. That currently today, that's the only part of, of the Herod's temple, of this second temple, which I call a refurbished temple, which I call uh, the second temple 2.0, right? Um, or 2.1, I should say, refurbished. And, and that's what's only left, the wailing wall where Jews go to pray to. They look at it as a holy site. They, put prayer, they write prayers down, put it between the cracks in the wall. Uh, when we took our trip to Israel, we got a chance to do that and put little papers between the wall and pray there. So since 70 A.D., yeah, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, 40 years after 70 A.D., that there has not been another temple in Jerusalem, in Israel, not at all. So, for John to be able to measure the temple in the tribulation years, which this is talking about, guess what that tells us? There will be a third temple rebuilt and standing in those tribulation years. Some call that third temple the tribulation temple because there's actually a fourth temple. Uh, in the millennium years after Jesus returns, or he's going to make a whole new temple, and that's what we call the millennium temple. Ezekiel saw that uh, at, in the end of the book of Ezekiel. And anyway, but there will be a third temple rebuilt standing during the tribulation years. Now, we also know 
that there will be a temple in the tribulation years because Daniel also mentioned this in his prophecy. And I want you guys to see this because it's going to relate to what we'll see in our, our next section. But turn over to the left into the New Testament to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. And we're just going to look at one verse quickly here, but uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Now, uh, we, we studied this, um, I mentioned this many times in our study in Revelation. We studied this last year. It's my intent to study Daniel first and then get to Revelation later, because if you can understand Daniel, then you can understand Revelation. So I'm referring to what we studied last year, and if you missed it, you can catch our uh, MP3 on our website. Just go to our website. You'll see Daniel hit that. Go to this chapter, and, and it's just a, a great study. But Daniel chapter 9 Verse 27 says this, And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decree uh, end is poured out on the desolator. So all this is really talking about the 70 weeks of Daniel. It's talking about that seven-year tribulation. So when you see that he shall make a strong covenant for many for one week, that one week is that last seven years God deals with Israel. That's the tribulation years. That's the last seven years of the world as we know it. And then half of the week, at that halfway point, it says he shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering. So this speaks about the Antichrist who will come in and he'll stand in the temple, the Jewish temple of God, he'll stand there, he'll end the sacrifice and offerings that have been going on there in the temple, and he will bring the wing of abominations that will make desolate. And Jesus calls this the abomination of desolation. And that is where when the Antichrist will stand up in that temple and the sacrifices to God and require the whole world, including the Jews, to worship him as God. So we've studied that. We've seen that. Well, think about this, what we're seeing in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. For the Antichrist to be able to stand in the temple to stop the sacrifices and declare himself God and bring the abomination, desolation, what does that mean? There has to be a temple, right? There has to be a temple standing in Jerusalem for all that to happen. So you see, what we see in Daniel 9 coincides with what we're seeing in Revelation chapter 11. So that means, if you go back to Revelation now, chapter 11 in verse 1, where we see John taking that measuring rod and measuring the temple of God, the altar, and the people there, that there will be a nation, Israel, seeking God, and they're going to be seeking God at this third temple, the upcoming third temple. Isn't that fascinating? I think that's amazing. And this is what to measure. This is what John is given to measure. Now, all of this, you guys, connects to some interesting things that are going on. On our first trip to Israel, I think it was back in, what, 99? Somewhere around there. Um, it's my, our first trip, we went with our, our, our church group there. And, and one of the extra stops we made, we, we toured 
the regular places, Jerusalem, Sea of Galilee, all the stuff. But one of the extra stops we made in the old city of Jerusalem was to visit this place called the Temple Institute. Now, I want you to understand, this is a, a group of rabbis and Jews that are dedicated to the restoration and the rebuilding of the third temple. That, that, that's what they're all about. And to get back to worship God, and this was back in 99, it was, to me it was exciting. I was standing in this little, I think it's, they've expanded now, but this, this little room, maybe like as big as our, our church room right here, and in it was all the implements that they had made for the temple worship. There was the vessels, the bowls, the cups. They, they made a silver trumpet to blow, to call people to worship, all according to the uh, specifications found in the Old Testament. They also made a golden incense altar, the table of showbread, which goes inside the, t- the temple, and a half-ton golden giant menorah, which are all of this are the main pieces that go inside the holy place, the inner court, the inner part of the temple. Well, through the years, they kept going. And I've been following, I've seen in the news, they, you, you can check out their website even. Uh, there's a templeinstitute.org, I think, something like that, website. But through the years, they kept going in preparation for the third temple. They really believe it, they're really pushing it. They finished the robe of the high priest. They made the breastplate with all the stones and the ephod and, and all that are uh, specified in the Old Testament. They finished a gold headplate for the high priest to wear uh, when offering up the sacrifice. They also made 120 priestly garments for the other Levites, the priests that they are to wear when all of this gets going. They made the golden incense bowl and the censers like we talked about in the uh, chapters before this. And they built this altar of sacrifice. Amazing. They tested it out even too. And, and they, could, they could take it down and then when it's ready, they said they're going to put it up. They're going to build it there. There's also uh, 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 this group of rabbis. They have officially called themselves the Sanhedrin, 70 of them. Yeah? And they have, they have uh, actually, I think recently I saw in the uh, news, they planted trees, are planting trees for the wood that is going to go on, you know, under the altar to burn the sacrifice and all. Um, also, the Temple Institute opened a school to train the Levitical priests on how to perform these sacrifices and all, all, all the customs, all the procedures and, and all in the temple worship. And what's amazing, several years ago, the Temple Institute put together architectural plans for the temple. They're ready. We're ready to build, they say, right? We have all the plans. We have everything ready to go when, when, when it's all, all ready and opened up. Isn't that crazy? That's right now. That's in our day, you guys. Just last month, the, temp, the Temple Institute, um, they put this out. They put this report out. Now, you have to understand the Temple Institute has been trying to uh, breed a red heifer without any blemish. Now, now the, the, re, the red heifer uh, has to be uh, 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 without any blemish, all red, uh, it's kind of a red or brown kind of cow whose ashes are needed for the purification ritual for the priest and to purify the temple. So this is a big part 
of having the temple and the third temple. So they've been trying to breed a red heifer without any blemish. Well, just last month, in Texas, a farmer contacted them and said, I have five red heifers. And so they went out there, a delegation traveled to Texas, and in the inspection, they found four of the five uh, were disqualified. They weren't perfectly in, in color. The fifth heifer was found to have just an area of dark hair it's near its mouth but they understand still being young uh, the temple institute decided to check back at a later date for sometimes the dark hairs fall out when uh, uh, the cow or the heifer gets uh, older Um, usually the red heifer um, has to be two years and one day old, can have no more than two non-red hairs on its body. And, it, and here's another rule. It could never have been used for labor or been impregnated. That's, that's their strict qualifications and rules for this red heifer. And they've been looking ever since they, they, they put all this together for years. I keep seeing, oh, red heifer found. But then later, no, you know, blemish. <laughs> red heifer found. And this was just last month that this, this farmer in Texas uh, had contacted them and they went out there. What's interesting to me is that Chanan uh, Kupetetsky from the Temple Institute said this, and this is the same article from last month of, of them going to Texas. This, this guy said uh, that um, I really believe that the red heifer was born this year. And you know why? Because... In he, he explains in Hebrew numerology, uh, this is the, they call it the year of the red heifer. I think like the Chinese have different animals. I don't know, I guess he, the Hebrews in their numerology have this. But this is, they believe, the year of the red heifer. Now, red heifers are very rare. And from the time of Moses, uh, this is what the Jews say, there only have been nine red heifers. But according to Jewish tradition, there will only be 10 red heifers in all of human history. And the 10th one, they believe, will usher in the Messiah. Oh, crazy, yeah? Crazy. It could be, you guys. could be. Is this the one in Texas? I don't know. Is, is it true what he's saying, that this is, this is the year of the red heifer? I don't know. But it's all pointing to... Right? The third temple, the upcoming third temple. You know, polls, surveys made in the past year show that almost 50% of Israelis want a third temple to be built. That's risen from, I think, back in 87, there's a poll, and only 18% said that. There are even today, today now, lawmakers in the Israeli government that, that they're Zionists, that, that's their push. That's what they want to happen. So they're going to try and make things happen so the government allows that. I don't know if you've seen even in the news, there's been more Jews going up to the Temple Mount. And, and that's alarming because they are not supposed to pray there. It's, it, it, and I'll explain later, but that, that's a Muslim, basically, area. But there's more and more starting to go up there. And the government is getting involved and allowing or not allowing and all this stuff. The... the um, Jerusalem Post now quoted this, and this is from a Sarah Burkle, and she said something interesting, and I pulled this out to share with you guys. She said, during Passover, most Jews say, next year in Jerusalem. 
But she went on to say, as an Israeli, I pray, next year may the third temple be built and last for eternity. So there's a, there's a temple movement. There's excitement that's starting to begin to rise up more and more. So let me ask you, do you think God is setting up things so that John will have something to measure? <laughs> I think so. I think there's stuff going on right now. I, I, I Think about this, what Daniel wrote, right, almost like 500 years before John, right? We see, her, we see coming to pass. We see what Jesus had been, been, Jesus even, right, said there's going to be abomination and desolation, right? So he was saying there's going to be a third temple even. You guys, the stage is set up. It's, it's set up, ready to come to pass. I mean, the Temple Institute, architectural plans, that's crazy. It's ready. They're ready to, to go. They're getting everything ready, the priests, everything, right? When they get the go-ahead, when, when everything's okay, boom, they're going to build it. Things are going to get going. But seeing what we're reading here in Revelation 11, happening in our day, prophecy, right? The stage is being set for uh, Revelation 11. You know what? All this means you can rely on God's prophecies, right? You can rely on that. And if you can rely on God's word of prophecy, then you can rely on his word, on everything else he says. You can rely on his promises. Do you believe that this is true in what we're reading and studying here today? Do you? Yes? yes. I believe it. Listen, if God said it, then you know what? I believe it, and that settles it, right? <laughs> There's that saying. If God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. And let that settle in you today. Not just this prophecy, but that God's word is true. His promises, what he says about salvation, of who you are in Jesus Christ, and what he's done. Your new creation. You've been set free, right? By the cross and the resurrection. That you are not, no longer who you were, but now you, you're a believer. You're, you're new in Christ. You're a child of God. And believe that there's a future for you in heaven with God one day. Believe that. Believe the promises that He's there for you, that, that He will strengthen you when you need it, that He will provide for you. Believe in those promises that He will never leave you nor forsake you because this is His Word. And if we see things coming past like this, prophecy we know god will be true to everything else all right well let's move on here now to verse two and number two in our outline what not to measure we've seen what to measure but then john's given what not to measure but first of all let's just take the first part of verse two it says here but do not measure the court outside the temple leave that out for it is given over to the nations. And we'll pause right there. So first, John's told what to measure. Secondly, now he's told what not to measure. Don't measure the court outside. Now, this is the outer courtyard, and it's usually a long time ago, uh, back in Jesus' day and in the uh, Solomon Temple days, it was called the court of Gentiles, where Gentiles still could come and see God and worship the Lord, uh, but they can only go up to this certain area, and we could put up the, that, a picture of that, a little bigger picture. There was the, the, the Israel court, a court of men, and then court of women, they could only go so far. But then 
outside of the temple main area was the court of Gentiles. So they could go up to that point, go on top of the temple mount and worship there. So John, John is instructed what not to measure. Don't measure this outer area. But, uh, I believe God, but through the angel, right, is, is given him, is told him, this area, because this area is given over to the nations, it says here in verse 2. The nation means unbelieving Gentiles. In other words, it's given over, it's controlled by Gentiles. So that's what we see here, first of all. Not measuring the outer court shows it is given over to Gentile control. All right? So not measuring the outer court shows it is given over to Gentile control. You know what's interesting? In 1967, in the Six-Day War, Israel had won control over Jerusalem, all of Jerusalem, and the Temple Mount area. They actually won Everything, they, that was, it was theirs. <clears throat> now, the Temple Mount is this big plateau, and that's where the, the second temple stood, Solomon's Temple, the first temple t- too. So they want it. But for political reasons, and mainly peace reasons through that, they gave control of the 35 acres on the Temple Mount, they gave control to the Muslims. Why is that? Well, let me just show you a picture. You can see in this picture, uh, this is the Temple Mount, and on top of the Temple Mount, you can see there is a structure, it's blue, with a gold dome on that. That structure is called the Dome of the Rock Mosque. It is the third most sacred holy site in Islam. They believe it is that location that Muhammad ascended to heaven and came back again. So they made a mosque over that. Israel got control of all of Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem is the Temple Mount here, um, but they gave control over to the Muslim because of that. I mean, just think if they brought that down, it's the third most holiest site, right? It would have been an all-out war. So I believe what we see in verse 2, that he is not to measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it's given over to the Gentiles. Control is given over to the Gentiles. And I believe it's because of that. The dome of the rock, moss, is sitting there. Well, let's go on to verse 2 now. On top of that, he says, not that and... uh, the second part of verse 2, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. So the holy city is what? Jerusalem. That's the holy city. That's what it's referring to. Jerusalem means city of shalom, Jerusalem, the city of peace. But think about Jerusalem. In all of its history, it's been a center of conflict, right? Even today, it's a center of conflict. Right? They want to divide Jerusalem. Um, who really uh, owns Jerusalem? I, I believe Israel does. <laughs> it was given to them originally, you know, a long time ago, if you want to go back that far. But, and it's what God has promised. But it's a city of conflict even to today. And still yet, one more time, will come the worst 
trampling. That's what we're reading here. They will, the Gentiles will trample Jerusalem, the holy city, for, look, 42 months. Now, when is that? What, what, is, what is going to be happening here? Well, John is told this clue about all this, that the Gentiles will trample Jerusalem for 42 months. What is that? Now, if you calculate this out, 42 months is actually three and a half years. Three years, right? 36 months, uh, at six months, right? 42 months. This refers to the last half of the tribulation years, the last of the seven-year tribulation, the three and a half years. And what happens at that three and a half year mark? We just saw it. The abomination of desolation. When the Antichrist stands in the temple, right? Declares himself God. It's what we saw in Daniel chapter 9. So when the mandate comes, the devoted Jews will not bow to the Antichrist. They're not going to worship him. And they will be forced to run. And the Antichrist and his forces will trample and try to kill all the Jews. That's a trampling. That's what's going to go on. Here in the holy city when all this happens. And it will be for 42 months, the last half of the tribulation. And it will end when Jesus Christ returns. So here's our last point. Not measuring also connects with the shattering of peace by the Antichrist. So not measuring, it all connects here uh, with the shattering of peace by the Antichrist. That not only the outer court will have, will control by Gentiles, but the Gentiles or aka the Antichrist and his forces will come and trample the Jews and he'll take away this peace. Now now let me explain that. You remember back in Daniel chapter 9 that Antichrist makes a strong covenant we read, right? What is that? A peace treaty basically. Now this is what I believe. I believe when he rises up, he will broker a deal with Israel and the Palestinians, the Arabs, and he'll bring, finally, peace to the Middle East, but not a real peace, but sort of a pseudo-peace, and it's not going to last long. Uh, On the surface, it'll look like three and a half years. Underneath, things are going to be going on. But I believe he'll broker this, this peace deal, this strong covenant with Israel and the Palestinians. And I believe he's going to convince Israel this way, to give up that portion of East Jerusalem. We're seeing that now, right? There's contention for East Jerusalem. This is what I believe. To give up that portion, portion of East Jerusalem, give it to the Palestinians, let them have it. And guess what? They'll give you a portion of the Temple Mount. So you can what? rebuild the temple. That's what I believe what's going to happen. And I, I believe with this growing interest to get back to God, I believe after Ezekiel 38, 39, when, when uh, Gog, Magog, Russia, and all the other, uh, Iran and Turkey, the other nations come and try and attack Israel, uh, but God's going to save that, save Israel. Gonna, there's going to be a, a awakening, a growing interest about God and the Seven, 70th week of Daniel timeline starts to go run again. The clock starts running. They're going to want to worship God. And then here comes Antichrist. Hey, I got the answer. Give them East Jerusalem and you can get part of the temple mount and build your temple. And you guys can start worshiping and everyone will be happy for a while. I believe <clears throat> that 
this reawakening passion to for the Jews and to start worshiping and putting sacrifices and Jews coming in and, and worshiping God and everything uh, with the temple built. I think it's going to make eventually the Antichrist jealous and it'll, it will reveal his real plan. And he's not going to like what they're doing because he wants attention, right? And he's going to reveal his real plan all along. The Antichrist will make his move then at the three and a half year mark. And like Second Thessalonians 2, 4 says, He'll exalt himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. 2 Thessalonians 2.4 He'll shatter the peace treaty at that point. He'll betray Israel, and he'll try and end that nation and kill them all. But his control is only for a limited time. He can only trample the holy city for 42 months because at the end of the three and a half years, Jesus will return. Good, good to know, right? We've been seeing God puts a limit on evil and it can only last so long. So let's trust God that he, whatever he allows, it will not go on forever. Evil will not win out. Now, all this in verse 2 brings up Another interesting problem. Where would this third temple be built? Now, for a long time, Jews felt the original temple stood right where that Dome of the Rock mosque stands. And so that, that was hard even for, for Bible uh, teachers and people studying the Bible. Like, how is this going to work? I mean, you, you bring down the dome, oh, there's going to be an all-out holy war in the Middle East. How does that work, Right. Well, remember what we read in this prophecy that John is not to measure outside, right? That main temple area, not that outer court area. I believe the solution the Antichrist is going to bring, that you can rebuild the temple, is that both of you guys, both the dome and the Jewish temple, can be on top of the temple mount. Now, let, let me give you this. Many seem to agree with that, and they agree with a Dr. Asher Kaufman. He's a physicist, archaeologist at Hebrew University. And, and years ago, he introduced, he introduced this thought, and this was after like 16 years of study. He believes that the true location of the temple was 100 meters to the north rather than the middle of the temple mount where that dome stands right now. Kaufman said that underneath the northern area, there is evidence of a massive structural foundation. The foundation stone is smooth rock and not jagged uh, like that is under the dome. So he feels like that really has to be the original location of the temple. Also, in the northern location, they say after a secret uh, except excavation in, nine, in the 70s, 1970, show where the actual eastern gate is. And I say secret because if, if you know where the eastern gate is, the actual eastern gate, then you know where the temple is. Because the eastern gate lined up to the, to, to the doors and to the, the court of, of women. And that door lined up to, to the doors to where the court of Israel and where the, the uh, altar was, the brazen altar, and that door lined up to the temple doors. And the, the actual temple doors lined up to where the curtain hang, hung, and it, behind that was the holiest holies. 
So he he says there was a secret excavation, and they know where the actual eastern gate is. There is an eastern gate that you can see we drive by. Um, it's actually bricked up because the Turks said they didn't want Jesus Jesus' prophesied to come through the eastern gate, so they want to stop him from coming through the eastern gate, so they bricked it up, which doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> and I asked the tour guy, I said, well, there's an eastern gate. We know where the temple is. He goes, no, because Jerusalem has been attacked and buried and rebuilt, buried rebuilt so many times that no one knows exactly where the eastern gate is. But Kaufman says this eastern gate lines up to where he believes the original temple stood, which lines up to the holiest holies that was behind the curtain, right? And that location where they, he believes where the holiest holies, where the ark was, yeah, in the inner uh, sanctuary of the temple, there on the Temple Mount right now, north of the Dome of the Rock Mosque, is this, this small gazebo. The Muslims call this Dome of the Tablets. We could put a picture of that. That's, you see the dome. And north of that is this little gazebo, and they call it Dome of the Tablets. And I'm thinking, whoa, that's crazy, because in the ark was what? It, it, it housed the, the Ten Commandments, right? The, the tablets there. Crazy. I've stood on that spot. Our, our last time we went as a church, we, we gathered around there and did a little, we weren't supposed to, quiet, whisper little, talk about what we could be standing on right there. It could be that would be the very spot where the holiest holies of the third temple would be located. Amazing, right? To me, this fits. Not measuring the outer area because it's given over to the Domino Rock. But the temple, the Antichrist does his brokers this deal for Israel to build, will be sitting next to it over there. And they can begin to worship God again in the Jewish way. It makes sense to me how it all comes together. I'm amazed. I'm excited about this. And you know, if you believe what we're reading today, that this will come to pass, that there will be a third temple, you know what, it's going to be soon. And if you believe it's going to be soon, it should affect how you live today. And I'll close with this. Years ago, I read about a man who passed out on a pool float, basically, in uh, Tampa Bay, Florida, beach. He, he was out there, and he passed out. He was on the ocean, you know, by the shore. Well, he ended up drifting out into the Gulf of Mexico. He, uh, uh, a passing boater caught a glimpse of him, called the Coast Guard, and they found him almost, uh, well, a mile off, about a mile offshore. After the rescue, he eventually woke up, and the Coast Guard said they suspected he was pretty drunk. The Coast Guard officer said, the message here is this guy got lucky. Depending on what the tides and currents are doing, he could uh, have never been seen again. You know what I was thinking reading that? The tragedy is many are spiritually asleep and drifting off into a dangerous place. Because you're spiritually asleep. Romans 13:11 says besides this you know the time that the hours come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believe so are you aware of the signs of the times today are you aware of what's going on even just today realizing oh the third temple is around the corner then we need to wake up 
We need to get right. We need to get going. We need to get living. We need to make our life about Jesus, nothing else. As we, are, we fully see the stage is set, and just around the corner is the upcoming third temple. Jesus, thank you for today, Lord, and what we studied. It's so exciting, God, to see Scripture come alive with the prophecy, um, the stage being set up for the prophecy. And, God, it, it stirs me up, Lord knowing you're coming soon. And so, God, help us to live for you today and be right with you, God. Lord, I pray for those who need to do that. And even as we move into a time of communion, I pray, Jesus, that you would move upon hearts and we would all be forgiven, cleansed, Lord, and that we would walk out of here ready to go, live for you. A new start, Lord, a second chance. In Jesus' name, amen.